You are listening to Germantown Community Radio, 92.9 FM WGGTLP, Philadelphia, and online at gtownradio.com. Good evening and welcome to Cue the Mic. Cue the Mic, Cue the Mic. This is Dr. Renee Norris-Jones. I like the British accent. It means I don't take myself too serious, but as Dr. Jill Biden says, you know, we did earn that whole doctor title. Um, and my grandson rightly calls me Dr. Grandmother. So my pronouns are doctor, she, her, hers, and sometimes I respond to dude. And I'm here with Sandy Smith, Germantown resident like Dr. Doris Jones, um, day job, real estate and home editor at Philadelphia Magazine. I also write freelance on the side. You will find my work on occasion in the local, the community newspaper serving this part of the city. And uh, in order to uh, discourage mail that begins with Dear Ms. Smith, I have to remind everybody that my pronouns are indeed he, him, and his. And with us this week also is Herman. Hey, my name is Herman Upperson. Uh, pronouns are he, him, his. I'm also a Germantown native, uh, born and raised in Philadelphia. Full-time job now is being a student at Community College of Philadelphia. I'm a theater major, and I uh, served in the Army National Guard in PA from 2006 to 2017. And I'm here as the street ally to provide my perspective in any way I can. Herman is an ally. Um, Yay, CCP. I started at CCP. I do have to say one thing. So last week when we recorded, I was at my grandson's house, and... He came in at the end because he wanted to say hi to everyone. So a couple of days later, a couple of hours later, I said, so he said he, he knew that he, he, the guy with the, with the ball head. So he was talking about um, Ricky. And I said, did you know I was on the radio? I was like, no, I didn't know you were on the radio. And he's looking at me like, wow, really? So I said to, I think they have Echo or Alexa, somebody. And I asked them to play. So again, he was very impressed that Alexa played the show. And then he said, oh, okay. And he, he went in, his dad came in the room. His dad said, did you know Dr. Grandmother's on the radio? And he said, yes, I did. And he said, it was kind of boring. <laughs> He's all of four. He'll be five soon, but I guess it is boring to him. Yeah, it was like, yeah, she's on there, but it was very boring. It was very boring. So I'll turn it over to you, Simon, to tell our listeners what we're doing tonight. All right. Tonight, this week on Cue the Mic, uh, we start out with our... A weekly Why Pronouns Matter segment. Then we're going to have an extended set of political cues and views. <clears throat> Pardon me. There's definitely lots to talk about today. Uh, followed by uh, Cue the Mic Trans Spotlight, uh, each week's Gay Answers to Straight Questions, and our lightning round, Newsworthy or Not. But uh, before we jump into that, let's go into this week, uh, this week's gay history feature. It is not literally a today in gay history because it happened a little while back, but it's a very interesting story from the 17th century. On October 24th, 1679, Lizbetha Ohl's daughter was charged in Sweden with, among other offenses, dressing as a man, serving as a soldier, and marrying a woman. <clears throat> Ol's daughter, a.k.a. Mats Urson, had abandoned her husband and two children when she met a soldier's widow named Sarah, who advised her to dress as a man to seduce another widow named Maria. Having found work as a servant under the name Mats Urson, Ol's daughter enlisted in the army with the help of a skipper, Eric Person Arnelli, who knew she was passing as a man. Ol's daughter completed her duties as a soldier and married Kirsten, Eyre's daughter. Upon discovering their husband's her husband's true gender identity shortly after their wedding, Ur's daughter reported Ol's daughter to the authorities. Ol's daughter was found guilty of all charges, including bigamy, fraud, and having intentionally, quote, mutilated, close quote, her gender, and, quote, mocked God and the order of God, close quote. She was executed by decapitation in November 1679. Wow. Though she was relegated to wearing female headgear, Ol's daughter was executed dressed as a man. 
Uh, just a note, this comes from Out, which notes also that Ol's Daughter is one of several stories from histories of trans and gender nonconforming individuals like those chronicled in the web series We've Been Around, which proved that while transgender rights have only recently come to the forefront, transgender people has, as Whoopi Goldberg puts it, been with us forever. Wow. And now on to the rest of the show. <clears throat> I, I just want to go back to that for a second. So was she beheaded because she was trans? Yes, she was beheaded because she was passing as a man in order to marry a woman. Wow. Wow. We don't know if this actually qualifies as transgender, but it is at least transvestitism. <laughs> wow. Wow, that's a lot. I mean, that's that's like a whole book there, you know? Um, yep. Hmm. Okay. So tonight for um, our, pro, our why pronouns matter, when I was looking at a story that we're going to cover a little lady, later on, I came across the term TERF, T-E-R-F. Are you guys familiar with this, TERF? Uh, I just found uh, maybe about sometime in 2020, the whole thing with, um, I first uh, heard about the uh, acronym with the controversy about J.K. Rowling and right. uh, taking a stance on uh, trans rights. Right. So I looked it up, and it stands for Trans Exclusionary Radical Feminists. Um, so it's feminists that are trans or that, that are transphobic, um, and it's basically they don't believe that a trans woman is a woman. It's kind of part of it, but it goes on and on. But I was just blown away. It's trans exclusionary radical feminists first recorded in 2008, applied to the minority of feminists, espousing sentiments that other feminists consider transphobic, such as the rejection of the assertion that a trans woman are women. And it just goes, I don't know, this came out in 18, but it sounds like something that could have very well coming out, come out in 2020, because that was the year of just ridiculousness. Um, and then I, I do remember when J.K. Rowling's started saying some things. It was something, I guess it was, she was attaching to this group and agreeing with some of the things that they said. And I, I remember we covered that story because I know my daughter's a big Harry Potter fan and you know, there are a lot of Potter fans out there. So um, I'm not sure how damaging that has been to the whole Harry Potter series. Has anyone heard anything about that part? Um, I have. It's... um. So very surface knowledge on it, but it has started this whole movement where um, the fans are separating her from her work. Oh wow! Okay, okay. Um, and it got into this. It got into this uh, discussion about when does a person's work at like you know a book series becomes. Um, I don't want to say. I can't say property of the fans, but it's become something that's with them too. And you know what? I, I totally get that because it happens more often than we think. I remember, I mean, I'm a huge Seinfeld fan. The whole right. the, um, everything that happens in daily life can be taken back to a Seinfeld. Seinfeld. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Exactly, exactly. Um, but there was something when um, the character that plays Kramer, that he was came out as a racist or he said something. Oh, this. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to watch it anymore. I still love Seinfeld. I love that character. That character is, has nothing to do with the person he is in person. I don't care who it was based on. You know what I'm saying? But I'm not going to stop watching something because of it. Mm -hmm. And it dates further back to Elvis. I remember I grew up on Elvis movies and, you know, John Wayne and that whole thing. Um, and at some point as a, I probably was a young adult by the time I heard something that he was racist or, you know, he stole black people's music or whatever. It still doesn't mean that I still don't appreciate his music. And I think that's a lot of, that's a lot we have to do in, in, in 2020 and onward is that with the, with social media becoming this huge thing that our celebrities were finding out. What the what kind of people they actually are, 
And um, something that's actually uh, more uh, more immediate, I want to say, is uh, th there's a controversy going around about uh, Gina Carano. The um, she is a former MMA fighter, and she stars on the new Star Wars show, The Mandalorian. And lately, she's been saying some uh, anti-trans things on Twitter, mm -hmm. at least things that can be taken uh, that way. And the same thing is happening with her that is sort of happening, that sort of has happened with uh, JK Rowling is that people want to separate her from the character. Her character's lovable, she's great, but people really don't like their things that Gina has been saying. So um, it's developing mm -hmm. situation, but th that's happened. This is gonna to continue to happen as life goes on. Right, so do we credit the writer with that then? The writer created the character. Um, well, what do you mean? So the, the writer created this lovable character. Yes. Of the series. But then that oh, goes no. Gina, Gina is an actress. Right. She's an actress. The, someone else wrote the character. Right, right, that's what I'm saying. The person who wrote the character. Oh, okay, yeah. Is lovable. Mm -hmm. Is from the writer, but then you're employing someone and making someone a celebrity well, has these views. Oh my god! It's I think there's an extra level to when you when you write a character and then you have someone play the character because now you're looking at that person's portrayal. Right. So you kind of attach a face to that character, personality nuances that actually belongs to the actress or the actor, whereas in a book. Um, yeah, we have the Harry Potter movies, but J.K. Rowling is the one who wrote everything. So we're not, you know, it's, and it's not, it's not that her, it's not that we're attaching anything to like, you know, Daniel Radcliffe or anything like that. It's, it's someone layers behind, you know, the, the silver screen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, in other words, you I, I don't know what they're going to do if there's talk about maybe people thinking about people think she be should be she should be recast or um but as for JK Rowling um as for uh, JK Rowling it's you know she wrote the books <laughs> Yeah. If she puts out new content like um uh, there's a question of are people it, are people going to pay money for it yeah. or are they going to continue to support it? I don't know. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's 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 circular. Um, you know, at what point? I don't know. It's it's a lot. It's a lot. Um, because right, if the person's an actress or a public figure, are we um, still supporting them? Hmm. Yeah. So um, I don't follow Harry Potter enough to know that um, what the Harry Potter fans are going to do about it. Um, but I remember that that's the first time I've heard the acronym TERF. Um, but, you know, like you just recounted some of the history of it. Yeah, it's been going on for a while. I am going to jump in now <clears throat> to comment on one thing that I guess kind of disturbs me about a lot of some of the, you know, shaming going on. Yes, we need our consciousnesses raised. No doubt about that, you know. We, we now learn that people that we think, you know, as that, as that history item shows, that people who we considered non-existent have existed for ages. And we know that there are some people out there <clears throat> whose beliefs and actions really were reprehensible enough to, you know, make them uh, worthy of excluding from, you know, public recognition. Uh, like President Woodrow Wilson, um, you know, whose name has come off the Princeton Institute of Politics and things like that. But the other thing I'd like to note is that very few of the people we consider heroes, as a matter of fact, none of them lack feet of clay. Um, everybody I know of, or at least, you know, what we're learning now is that just about every one of the greats that we talk about has some sin that would in, you know, either in our time or even in theirs have um, 
cause shame to rain down upon them. Um, and yet we continue to honor them for the fact that the good that they did outweighs the you know source of the shame. Um, and I worry that you know with our move to like demand a certain sort of purity from all of our greats, we are going to wind up, you know, uh, diminishing the, the the nature of the work they do. You know, uh, fine. Uh, let's let's point out that uh, J.K. Rowling uh, has a thing about trans people or trans women, to be specific. Um, but should we then disqualify her from association with the books she created? You know. What are we going to say? Harry Potter by blank? <laughs> I mean, there, there's a, there's a, there's a whole discussion on it and it's no, you can't take her name from it, but it's, um, we gotta freaking deal with it. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's hard for me. It's hard for me to say, um, but Yeah, you know, as you say that, I think of two things. I think of um, my father, who I was, I'm the number six of seven girls. I have one younger brother. Um, I was always um, daddy's little girl. You know, we had our special times, there's things that we did together. And at some point, I mean, most people know that I'm a survivor of domestic violence. And at some point in my early twenties, he disowned me because I left my abusive husband later. Um, bludgeoned his mother with an axe, ex-husband. But to the end, my dad just disowned me. Um, and when he died in 2005, that was something that I really had to reconcile. I really had to reconcile um, this, these two lives that I had with him. Um, so that was probably the first 25 years, followed by the next 25 years of nothing. And during the time that, from the time he passed to the time that we had the service, um, besides just dealing with regular family drama that happens in families. Um, I had to reconcile that. I had to acknowledge the part of my life that he was in that was positive and equally acknowledge the part of my life that was not so positive. So in the end, I decided that it's okay for me to remember and cherish the years that we had that were good and to equally acknowledge the ones that weren't, but it, it was almost a, a coming together of these two people. So that kind of reminds me of this, is that I do frequently call myself John Norris's daughter because that's, that's the part where he and I had a bond. Um, and yes, yeah, some ugly stuff happened um, after that, but it's life. So it kind of goes back to what Sandy was saying in reference to, um, you know, do we take away the whole thing because of something negative? And, we're not perfect. We're not perfect, and that has nothing to do with you know, MRI or the rest of us. But I really had to reconcile that, so I can totally relate to that on a personal basis. So, um, I can talk. I can talk about this topic on something that relates, relates more um, relates more to me than Harry Potter. But it basically it is what you said. Like I, one of my favorite artists is David Bowie, and his music was a positive influence on me. Um, and I really don't read into the lives of celebrities too much, but you know, I found out there were rumors of him with uh, having, being very careful about my words here because uh, this is, I don't know if it's confirmed or not. So, but um, he had a lot of underage um, fans. And yeah. Um, yeah, and so there, so there were all these type of allegations, and they're terrible. Didn't look to see if how much of it was true or not, but you gotta. I can't deny the positive effect the music had on me, but at the same time, I can acknowledge that these things are terrible, and you just have to. They have to be both things at once. Yeah, exactly, exactly. 
So Sandy is giving us the, yo people, you gotta move on. Oh. Actually gonna flip the schedule a little bit because, um, but, but Herman, thanks for sharing that. It's amazing how these things hit us and kind of, um, I feel the same thing when I hear about people who are, um, as a domestic violence survivor and advocate that were abusive towards women and how I, where I have to place them in my life. But um, I'm gonna flip up to the, before we get into the political news and cues, I'm just gonna bring up our trans spotlight for the day. Um, and this actually happened back in October, October 29th, where um, with all the view about the Boy Scouts and everything that's going on with them, um, there was a trans team that became one of the first ever female Eagle Scouts back in October. So that is our trans spotlight for today. And that is from them, T-H-E-M period, um, website. Um, I love their stuff. They always carry good stuff. So that dates back to October 29th in case you want to look that up. But that's our trans spotlight for today. Nice. Yeah. So, and that was right around the time that the Boy Scouts started adding girls in the ranks. Um, and that takes me back to Central. because We used to have girls in Philadelphia, we had girls high in Central. And I don't remember the first year that Central started taking girls in. I don't think girls high ever start taking boys in, but it was always, maybe recently. Uh, girls high, I think, remains all girls. Okay, okay. Um, but I don't remember the 264, my daughter went to Central, I'm gonna throw that out there. Yep, so, all right. Going back to, now that I jumbled things up, um, political cues and news that we're right now. Uh, yeah, we are now at political cues and news. And we've got uh, several items to run through this week. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, uh, first on the list, uh, we have uh, President Biden reversing former President Trump's executive order banning transgender individuals from service from active duty in the armed forces. Um, this is, uh, you know, in keeping with a lot of other things that uh, the president has done to signal that he seeks to have a more inclusive administration and government workforce. Um, I'll just say we should, you know, this is definitely laudable and a round of applause for this. Yeah, I think somebody else needs to tell me, uh, address this next item on the list something about tampons um, i'm actually going yeah i'm going to go there i'm going to bring up um herman herman uh we talked last week and it was after the show so we didn't quite get it on the air but herman talked about um his experience i would say two weeks ago herman um your time in the military oh yeah talking about you know kind of what that was like and your friend and how your friend a friend of yours responded after they heard the show Right. I, had a friend, I have a friend named Seth who I met in, uh, I want to say 2010-ish. Um, and we were tra training um, at the, well, it's a the Sergeant's Academy, basically. We all got recently promoted to Sergeant and we had to get, get some uh, training. Um, and I knew Seth for, it's, wow, it's been 10 years. But um, around 2013, um, 2012-2013, I, I deployed to Kuwait, and he was in Germany, and um, he went on leave to Hawaii, and uh, all this time, I never knew he was gay until I, there were pictures of him um, with a, a guy he was dating at the time, and uh, when he told me, I, I he, <laughs> I'm losing my place here. When he told me, I was surprised, but I was I was so bad at a uh, at a uh, you know trying to determine someone's sexuality. It wasn't really not something I really like was curious about. But he was telling me, like, yeah, I really can't. I I have to. Uh, I'm in the army. I can't you know be as I want to be. So when he got out, um, you know, he was he can be more openly gay. Um, but anyway, he, he heard the, he heard the news, uh, he heard the, he had the, oh God, he heard the show. Um, and he lives in Hawaii now. So he had to, you know, do what, get with the time zones and all that, but he heard it and he 
was very happy I mentioned him. Um, and uh, he said, uh, <laughs> my, uh, my contempt for how we were treated in the army is very, very obvious. And uh, remember you saying that he said, said, said that you're going to be, you're going to be hated or something. It was, it was something, it was something humorous. Um, oh yeah. He, he said, <laughs> you're going to set the world on fire <laughs> with uh, some of your comments about the army. It was specifically was the biggest lie I ever, the biggest lie I ever was told by my, uh, by my NCOs and officers was that I could change things. And, you know, I went into, I remember going, sagging into um, my friend who was a, he's a former Philadelphia police officer that was racially discriminated against and fired. And, you know, I don't have a whole lot of faith in trying to change the system from inside anymore, but I really hope that those who can continue to fight and do it, I really just hope for the best, but um, I, my, me, myself, I'm worn down and I, I, I can't. Yeah, well, we definitely thank you for your service and, and for sharing your story. And, you know, I think that still ties into what we've been talking about is perspective, you know, kind of uh, what it's like to kind of look at something from, from more than one angle, you know? Um, thank you. My dad was a veteran. One of two of my exes were veterans. Um, um, and, from those three people, I got two, three different perspectives of the military. And the last one was a more appreciative role for the, for the work that you guys do and the job that you do. So, It's yeah. a very thankless job. Uh, I'll, I'll give you that. Um, it's tough. Um, and a lot of times you don't even know if you're, what you're doing actually matters in the big picture. I felt like that a lot. Um, but Regardless, I do believe it is a job that we absolutely need and is a job that absolutely requires people to do. Well, you know, I remember going with... Um, Agreed 100% there. Yeah, um, my ex, Deborah, she was a vet and we went to the VA. Uh, mm -hmm. I think she first got out of law school and then maybe later on at some point she went to the VA while she was, you know, starting a new job. Um, going to there or getting medical attention. Right, 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 getting medical attention. Yeah. We went a couple times at, you know, middle of the night to the ER there. Mm. One time they kept her and that was, it was different because we got settled in and I came back the next day to, you know, bring food in and, you know, whatever, right. needed, whatever. And walking through that building, it was in the middle of the night and it was in this empty building and seeing veterans and hospital staff and folks outside and, and just the, the hustle bustle and going through, mm -hmm. it was, um, I'm getting chills just thinking about it. It was just a totally different experience. You saw disabled vets or just this whole building is, is felt with people who, who served our country. And that was just, it was life-changing to me. It just, when you said thankless job, that's what I went to because yeah, close as I got to just, I have no words. I have no words, but it was just a different experience going in the couple of days that she was there and I think coming to pick her up a couple of days later. The first time I walked into the VA was when I came back from my first tour and I was getting checked out for PTSD. And um, I was in denial that I had it, but regardless, I walked in and I was 23 or 24 at the time. And it was then like seeing all the older guys who, you know, Vietnam veterans, um, Korean War veterans, you're the, sometimes even a World War II veteran, but like just missing limbs, still struggling yet still here and now i'm like okay now i'm part of this group and you get i was in the army you know brotherhood camaraderie all that stuff whatever i didn't really it didn't really click until i walked into the va and seeing all the stuff that you don't really see on the recruiting commercials right. and halftime football games or whatever um it's dark <laughs> yeah it's yeah. dark. 
And, and to hear th that darkness and then go back with what we started with, where Biden um, reverses Trump's plan on, on military, but not just that, but I remember when my ex was in there um, years ago, I guess she was right before, right after doing the don't ask, don't tell. Um, so with the, with, I, I didn't realize that the trans ban actually went through. I remember it being contested and I remember um, former Secretary of Defense, um, James Mattis, um, I remember him saying as much as refusing to enforce it until there was actual guidance. And I remember hearing the same thing about um, from other types of military commanders that I'm still in the loop with, but it was Trump put it out. It seemed like propaganda, but there was there weren't any regulations. How they I don't think they I mean, someone correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think they at the time were actually separating people for it. And then other issues took over and. Yeah, the same thing here. I don't remember it going through. So when I saw that, I was just like, whoa, what else did he do in the last four to four years? There's a lot to, there's a lot, the last four years has a lot to unpack. Mm -hmm. and, I'm and here, here to Biden for doing that, um, for, for taking that on. And just since he first started naming his cabinet and people who he was appointing, I think we all were impressed that the women, the minorities, the um, Dr. Levine and why while we were having a pre-meeting show, I'm watching NBC because I think I was watching the news earlier this morning and there was a medical doctor when I didn't catch his name, but he was defending, you know, the segment was called understanding transgender people or something and it was focusing on all the backlash that Dr. Levine has gotten. And I just thought it was an interesting segment as I looked up going, wow, this is NBC. Um, and the one thing he said was that he respected her for what he said, quote unquote, was like the Obamas, no matter how low they went, she stayed high. So um, it's a I hard thing to do. Yeah, yeah. At some point, do a military cue the mic show, you know, mm -hmm. asking and telling. But I, I think just from some of our conversations and um, Herman's, Herman's shared some of his experiences, that's something that's just we need to do. And before Sandy gives me the watch look one more time to say we are way out of out of segment time. <laughs> so here's something that's in the news and oh. is tampon. And this is where I heard about the turf, you know, the trans anti-trans who are anti anti-trans. Um, so the tampon. This is the tampon maker. Um, it's now the subject of, and again, this is a little bit dated from my news, not that dated a couple months ago. So much happened in 2020. It's hard to catch up with. <laughs> oh, man. So this is from September 2020. But they had a tweet that said, hold on, let me make sure I get this. Fact, F-A-C-T, not all women have periods. Also a fact. Not all people with periods are women. Let's celebrate the diversity of all people who bleed. Um, and it's called it hashtag my hashtag mythbusting, hashtag period truth, hashtag trans is beautiful. I thought that was a wonderful thing. Um, that and Herman has this look on the face like, wait, wait, what? what? Like I can see how that can be taken both ways. It sounds like a clumsy marketing tweet to me. Yes. It's like, hey, we want to say things, we want to say things to the to both sides of the aisles and try to have our cake and eat it too. You really can't with this. As a woman, I appreciate that. I really do. I it, it was a little clumsy. Sometimes things come out a little clumsy. But the turf said that, oh, they hated it because they hated it because they were acknowledging that they were. They didn't agree with the, the inclusionary of uh, the inclusionary, including trans women, trans women, trans men, trans women, correct? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Sometimes I get it. it's kind of like my right, and my left. Their attempt. 
But that's where the turf came in because they were, the article talked about that and it talked about all the backlash they got in the blacks, the backsplash. The, back, the backlash they got from turfs? Yeah, went from turfs. But as a woman, I see where it's going and I see what they were trying to do. I admit it was a little bit clumsy, but yeah. Yeah, for a decade old product, um, around forever. How, have, how has the trans community taken it? You know what? I'm not sure. And, and that's a good question because okay. the was so buried by the turfs and what they said. Because I can definitely see, I can definitely see the logic of seeing that from taking that different ways. Right. It, it, like to me, it doesn't sound like the best way to say it, but I can see how, I can, I can agree with what you say, like from your perspective, you thought it was great. Right. Uh, I appreciate the attempt. <laughs> that's yeah. all I can say as a, uh, you know, as a straight guy is like, I, that an attempt was made. Yeah. And, and, and when Sandy said, this is something for Renee, and it's just like, most men go, what? Impon, what? Okay, I'm leaving the room. Uh, we do have one last item, I think, in news and views before we should uh, go on to uh, gas queue. This one is a little closer to home. As you may or may not know, Judaism has four main branches. You know, there's Orthodox, everybody knows about the Orthodox. Mm -hmm. Then there are the, there's the conservative Judaism. And then there is reform, which is generally speaking, uh, the most Jews are either conservative or reform. And in the case of conservative, that does not indicate their politics. It indicates their religious practice. Okay. But I think, I think many people do not realize that there is a fourth branch of Judaism. It's the smallest and in many ways, the most radical. Uh, this is the reconstructionist movement. Um, the chief religious organization promoting reconstructionist Judaism is called Reconstructing Judaism. And it's headquartered here in the Philadelphia suburbs. It's in Wincote. Um, their, their mission, as they say, is to quote, Cultivate and support Jewish living, learning, and leadership in a changing world. Uh, they're very socially conscious. Uh, they have, you know, a strong commitment to social justice, uh, liberalizing religious practices for Jews everywhere. And uh, this week, um, the Reconstructing Judaism, the leading organization of the Reconstructionist movement, has announced that they have chosen their first director of racial diversity, equity, and inclusion. She is a queer black woman, hmm. Rabbi Sandra Lawson, um, who is of course from this area. Um, she, uh, the, the whole, well, well actually let me add this too. This was, this appeared in PGN. Uh, Reconstructionism is a progressive Jewish movement rooted in the idea that Judaism evolves over time and embraces Jewish culture and philosophy in addition to custom and law. Um, I think this is a rather significant move. Um, and, you know, uh, teaser folks, we hope to get her on this show as a guest in the not too distant future. Nice. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we are running out of time. And as Sandy, our timekeeper, um, mentioned that we need to move on. But next week, we're going to actually do, there's some new LGBTQ plus films that we can't wait to check out. And Herman's going to talk about that next week. Um, so we're going to move on to Cast Gas Q. And I'm going to move over for Sandy kind of scoops us along. So here's our gas cue question for the week. Are you guys ready? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Um, are you attracted to your straight friends? Oh my, can I start this one? <laughs> He's like, please let me. Oh man. <laughs> um, you know, uh, I am pretty upfront, as you know, about my orientation. Um, and uh, I have run into lots of really gorgeous straight guys. Uh, beginning in college, even before I came out to myself, uh, I had like, 
you know, I, I, I wasn't aware of it myself, but looking back, this was like a serious man crush on this really gorgeous guy from Los Angeles um, who was, you know, prep school kid, um, son of a doctor, uh, you know, definitely, definitely was a few notches above me on the socioeconomic scale. Uh, we did become friends. He, he did not rebuff my interest. Um, and I'm trying to remember, I think I did come out to him. And one of his questions was, did you think I was attractive? I responded in the affirmative. <laughs> he, he, took it, he took it very much in stride. Um, whenever I see a straight guy who I think is very attractive in that way, you know, I will usually, if they ask, tell them, well, I wouldn't kick you out of bed for eating crackers in it. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a kind of a gentle, humorous way in which to express that you find a straight guy physically attractive, you know, um, without necessarily making them feel uncomfortable. The best compliment I've ever received from a gay person was <laughs> I was at Voyeur maybe about 10 years ago and I was there with a girl on a date and we we're having fun and we were around the corner um, after they let out waiting in line to get pizza at the pizza store that was there. The homo and hut. <laughs> yeah, so there was a guy in front of me and he just turned around and said, I'm sorry, you are the, I, you exhort, <laughs> he said, you exude an aura of heterosexuality and I get that and that's cool, but you are a very gorgeous man. And I just want to let you know that. And I'm like, hey, thanks. I really appreciate that. Yeah. Wow. Wow. It was just so honest. Right. It's so honest. It's not offensive. Yeah. He's like, I'm not trying to, you know, hit on you, but you really need to know. <laughs> I'm like, thanks. That's great. Um, yeah, no, and, and I think that that's, it's, it's, it's not meaning to be, it's not meant to put you on the defense. Yeah. Yeah, it, 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 he said it and that was that, it was great. But a lot of my, um, a, a lot of my gay friends have, uh, have admitted having crushes on me and like, hey, I'm sorry. But I also have a lot of crushes on um, my other friends who are gay too. So that's. Well, Herman, uh, you know, something, something we get to do on this show that our audience doesn't is see each other. So, you know, let me just say, Herman, <laughs> I wouldn't kick you out of bed for eating <laughs> Thank you. And Thank you. on our website, very soon, you will see photos of Herman um, because he, he, he sent them to me when we were having our pre-show meeting going, I know you've been asking me for this file, for these photos. So you'll get to make your own judgment there. Um, I, I haven't been dating a lot at all. It's funny. I have a hard time. I have a hard time. Uh, I accept the compliments, but it's a, it's hard for me to like digest them. I guess I'm like, okay, that's cool. I'm like, I don't see it, but you know, I'll take that. That's fine. And and I think part of that is a bit of humbleness. But I'm I'm going to go back to this question because there's like two ways you can take this question. Are you okay. see your straight your straight friends? And sometimes I, when I see that, I hear like you are you are you hitting on all of your street friends? That's what I hear when I hear that sentence. And I think that I've mostly got that from straight people, where you have to go just just like you're straight and you're not as attracted to every person of the opposite sex. Yeah. Um, or you might say, "Hey, that's a handsome person," or "That's a good-looking person, male or female." Um, and it doesn't mean anything, you know, and I can say that to my partner. I'm gay, so I'm a lesbian, so my female partner, wow, she's a good looking woman. And there's no jealousy there. It doesn't mean that you're trying to hit on everyone, just like someone straight is not trying right. to hit on every other person that's straight, because we do have, we all have personal preferences. We do, we do. And 
that's exactly it. It's, you know, I, I can go say a man is attractive. I'm like, Hey, he has attractive features. That doesn't mean I'm gay. Right. Right. It's, there's a, circling back to the, to the army. There's a lot of latent, like homoeroticism that goes on. Mm-hmm. And why you could knock me over with a feather. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. But they used to play something like gay chicken and I, it was the stupidest game. And it made me think like, you guys need to like really examine yourselves um, because you're, I, I see you guys are like working something out here, but it's like, there you say they see all the things like oh it's not gay until certain parts of the body touch other parts of the body but then you just broke it down and said it's not gay until you have romantic feelings with somebody i don't know they didn't get that huh huh that's interesting well we're going to have to explore that in another week because we- <laughs> that's a lot to unpack <laughs> it's a lot to unpack uh, uh indeed Though, you know, some of this gets back to my frequently, uh, my frequent observation and reminder that the Kinsey scale is not binary. Indeed. Indeed. And we're going to come back to this too, because I actually thought about that when you mentioned it the other week and actually went back and to reread parts of the highlights of the Kinsey scale and was just like, wow, this is um, definitely something to come back on. But it's time for, what time is it time for, Sandy? It's time for our lightning round, newsworthy or not. Uh, each of us is going to read some item that's, that's been in the news this week. And uh, we're going to give you a quick reaction, like, you know, two snaps up. Child, please. Over it. Hated it. Uh, you get the picture. Okay. Uh, let's see. Who's, who's going to start this off? I have something. I'm very, very proud of this item. On January the 20th, his first day in office. Uh, wrong one, wrong one. Sorry, first day in office. I have it here. I have it here. Don't tell me, don't tell me, don't tell me. Oh, here we go. First day in office, the White House, Biden, asked people to choose their pronouns on the website contact form. I heard that. Nice. Yeah. That's all I got today. I just thought that was oh, good. Yeah, that, you know, that's a good one. Uh, here's one that I think is a blast from the past. San Francisco just lifted a ban on gay bathhouses that was enacted during the uh, era of AIDS. Huh. I saw that headline. They're just going around and doing that? <laughs> yep. Well, good for them. About time. <laughs> I think I had a similar kind of, really? I didn't know that was a thing. I think I have something pretty recent within the last few hours. Uh, Donald Trump's entire legal team quits week before (laughs) trial. Uh, This is from ABC News. And the reasons are a disagreement on, I guess, how, yeah, on disagreement on how to mount his defense Donald Trump wants to make it about election fraud. There was argument there. And there is the issue that is it constitutional to go after a president who has left office for impeachment? He is... Child, please. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. (laughs) Uh, They've done it before. It's happened. And he just won't... Yep. Uh, There was a secretary of state and I think it was either the Ulysses Grant or Grover Cleveland administrations, okay. who was getting impeached, and to forestall it, he resigned his office before the articles were sent to the Senate. Okay. The Senate went ahead and tried him and convicted him. Something, something that people tend to forget is that impeachment doesn't just remove you from office. Mm-hmm. Impeachment can prohibit you from holding office in the future. And there are a few other ways to enact that. So yes, this is this is definitely legal. But child, please, with the whole election fraud thing. (laughs) 
this yeah. is this is something else from the everything touches dies file. Yeah. Dear right. Trump, twenty twenty is over. To I, advise, I do have one newsworthy or not. Oh, okay. Let's hear it. This week we lost Cicely Tyson. Oh yes, yes. Larry King, Kate Aaron, Jimmy Rogers, Bill Spector, and Siegfried. Um, Speaking of a person who had some uh, reprehensible behavior, but whose work is still worthy of honor, Phil Spector. Um, not familiar with him. The Wall of Sound. Uh, it was his sonic invention from the days of mono. Um, you recognize it as basically, um, you know, a huge thrumming string section behind uh, what you might call typical Brill building pop. Um, it was a you know, groundbreaking innovation in pop recording in the 1960s. And oddly enough, the album on which he debuted it was released on November 22nd, 1963. Wow. You know, you've been named, but for some reason I was thinking politics, but I'm glad that you um, corrected me. I just looked up Jimmy Rogers because I did not know who that was. Um, says American singer and actor. Um, Dynamite. Was, was he from something I should know, Dynamite? Good times. Really? I believe it's that Jimmy. I'd have to look at his picture now. Yeah, huh. Let me see. Do I have the right Jimmy? Ah, no, this one says he was honored as a father of country music, if that's the same. Oh, okay, yeah, different Jimmy. Yeah. Different Jimmy. Scratch uh, that. Mm -hmm. yeah. But um, I was really, Larry King was just like, whoa, he did what happened? So that was really surprising, that. and. Mm -hmm. Respect to, uh, to everyone that lost their week and, and condolences, but I think the yes. and, and the Larry King and the okay. Karen also, but it was, it was a week, definitely a week this week. We'll yes, see. indeed. It's been quite a week. Uh, let's take everybody out now. There we go. I think that's it, folks. Um, I lived in Texas for a little bit, so sometimes my, my Texas with my 10-gallon hat and my shit kickers, those are boots, so that's not profanity. Um, and Texas, their boots. And we know Texas thinks they're their own country. So I'm going to end with all y'all. I was going to say goodbye. Oh, yes, we are. Carol Burnett thing, you know, I'm so glad we have this time together. But, um, yeah, I, I, I think we can wrap this show up and put a nice bow on it and take everybody home. Where can you find us, uh, Herman? We are everywhere. You can find us on iTunes, Podomatic, the Google Play Store, TuneIn, Spotify, and Alexa. And if there's somewhere we aren't, let us know and we'll get there. Very good. And until next week, you have been listening to Cue the Mic on Germantown Community Radio, 92.9 FM, WGGT, LP, Philadelphia, and online at gtownradio.com. See you next week. You're familiar with Stonewall, of course. But what about the activist movements throughout history that haven't received as much attention? Let's take a look at some of the more obscure political actions that have also changed the course of queer history. A Brief History of Overlooked Queer Political Actions, narrated by Billy Porter, illustrated by Amit Greenberg. 1920s, the Society for Human Rights. When U.S. Army soldier Henry Gerber was stationed in Germany from 1920 to 1923, he saw the rise of homophile organizations, as gay rights groups were once called. Upon returning to Chicago in 1924, Gerber founded the Society for Human Rights, the first gay rights organization in America, which also produced the country's first gay rights newsletter called Freedom and Friendship. Shortly after the newsletter was disseminated, Gerber's home was raided by the police. He was arrested, his papers confiscated, he lost his job and life savings. The society fell apart. Later, Gerber relocated to New York City, 
and began writing activist works again, this time under the pen name Parasex. He continued his activism until his death in the 1970s. The Mattachine Society was formed in the early 1950s by Harry Hay. It started in California, but quickly spread across the country, providing a space for gays and lesbians to gather and discuss their experiences. This was radical at a time when few Americans were out. In some places, it was illegal for homosexuals to gather at all. The organization declared homosexuals were an oppressed minority, that developing a community was essential to overcoming oppression, and that anti-gay legislation in the U.S needed to be overturned. However, in 1953, the group's radical ideas were traded for more accommodationist ones, which stated that homosexuals should adapt to, not combat, heterosexual lifestyles in order to obtain equality. The Mattachines dissolved at the end of the 1960s when gay rights activism became more aggressive. The Daughters of Politis was formed in 1955 in San Francisco by Phyllis Lyon and Del Martin. It was named after poet Pierre Luis's The Songs of Bilitis, in which Bilitis was said to be a female lover of Greek poet Sappho. It was one of the first lesbian organizations ever established in the U.S. Originally assembled as a meeting place for lesbians, the group also held public forums to teach people about homosexuality and provided support to partnered, single, and parenting lesbians. The Daughters of Bilitis shut down in the early 1970s, but is known for its commitment to fostering understanding in and out of the lesbian community. The riot at Jean Compton's cafeteria in San Francisco's Tenderloin neighborhood happened in August 1966. A policeman grabbed a drag queen in an attempt to arrest her, and she threw a cup of coffee in his face. A riot began almost immediately, with glass windows smashed by thrown sugar shakers, tables flipped, and cutlery thrown. These particular Compton's customers had had enough. Cops had been arresting drag queens, gay hustlers, and transgender women at the 24-hour eatery regularly for cross-dressing, for obstructing the sidewalk, or for any reason they could find to throw them in jail. After the incident, the diner banned trans women, and the Tenderloin's largely queer community rebelled, picketing the establishment and breaking its new windows. The Compton's riots received no coverage at all in any of San Francisco's publications, but today, is recognized for its importance as one of the first queer uprisings against police brutality. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence first emerged in 1979 when four gay men, bored with the sameness of San Francisco's Castro District, put on retired nuns' habits. Realizing their presence could bring joy and initiate social change, they draw attention to queer discrimination and religious hypocrisy, promote safe sex, and educate against the dangerous effects of drug use, all the while raising money for AIDS, LGBTQ+, and community-related causes. Chapters have since expanded across the globe. Street Transvestite Action Revolutionaries, or STAR, was organized by queer historical icons and self-described drag queens Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera. Both had been present at Stonewall and active in the Gay Liberation Front and decided to organize homeless trans youth, drag queens, sex workers, immigrants, and low-income people in New York. Rivera and Johnson were homeless themselves and saw STAR as a way to help provide shelter for the people they knew as their children. They bought a building, fixed it up, provided shelter and clothes for people who came through. STAR grew from New York to Chicago, California, and even England and lasted approximately three years before it shut down. While the riots at Stonewall are, of course, important, their story starts decades before and continues today. Thanks to people like Henry Gerber, Phyllis Lyon, Sylvia Rivera, Larry Kramer, and countless others, queer activism still has a loud and forceful voice in and out of the community. We owe so much to their legacy. We continue to speak out in honor of the strides they made for us and the lives we hope to change in the future. You have been listening to Cue the Mic on Germantown Community Radio, 92.9 FM, WGGT-LP, Philadelphia, and online at gtownradio.com.